All right, well, let me say, let me start off by saying this. I love just seeing all of the different stories and hearing all the things and just watching God transform so many of you. Uh, I love, this is a highlight for me of, of my week. And uh, I love getting in this room with you guys and watching you worship and learning about Jesus together. And just as I look around at the different faces and just say, man, God's ch- changing your life. And God's done so much in your life over the last couple months or over the last couple years. And I love that. And uh, it's so powerful when you've got a room full of people that have stories. And, uh, and have stories, not only stories, but have stories to tell. And so that's the series that we're in. A series called Storytellers that we started last week. And, um, and if you missed last week, I mean, that's, that's basically what we started off with, of just saying all of us have a story. And, um, and we have a story to share. We have a story to tell. We have a story that has significance. And hopefully it involves a story of God changing our heart, of God's, God revealing our need for him, and working and moving in our life to make us like him. And that's what makes our story so powerful. Last week, we, uh, we, we looked at... The, uh, the woman at the well, and just an interaction that Jesus had with a woman who had a past, and she had made a mess of her life, and she had, had made a lot of mistakes and different things, and she came, Jesus met her at a place where she was looking for other things to give her significance and to find satisfaction, and for Jesus to reveal to her that God was the thing that she needed. And so we, we talked through that story. You guys, if you were here, we watched an amazing story from, from Megan, and, um, and how God has transformed her life and is transforming her life. And just the brokenness that she's experienced and the hopelessness and you know, bringing her out of depression and all of the different things that he's been doing in her life over the last few months. And, um, and as you guys were watching that, there may be so many of us that can relate to stories like that. That can relate to the story of a woman who's got a past and who's made a mess of her life. Or to a girl like Megan who has experienced hopelessness and maybe you've gone through depression or you've, you've contemplated things like suicide or you've, you've watched as, as you've just made mistake after mistake after mistake and you are just left with kind of just the broken pieces of your life. And maybe there are so many of you that can relate to stories like that. That is your past or maybe that describes where you're at right now. But I think there's a lot of us that, that have trouble maybe relating to stories like that. Maybe we look at that and we go, man, that's a, that's a powerful story, Megan's story. And it's amazing what God has done in her life. But I, that doesn't really describe my story. Like maybe for some of us, we look and we feel like, and maybe this is a question or, or a thought that you've had, does my, does my story really matter? Do I really have a story that's powerful? Because I see stories like that that we watched last week and I'm like, man, my, my story isn't as powerful as that. And maybe I'm, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. Or maybe I haven't, you know, experienced all of, of those different things. I haven't, you know, done drugs. Or I haven't exp- gone down all those different paths. And I look at her story or his story or whatever. And, and that has power. But I feel like my story doesn't really have much power. I don't really feel like my story matters all that much. It's not nearly as impressive as other stories that I've heard. Or maybe we feel like, in a, in a lot of cases, that um, we're not all that bad off. Like, we feel like, you know what, I'm not as bad as other people. I, I, I look at, you know, my story or my past, and I haven't experienced all of those different things. I haven't made those major mistakes that other people have. And so maybe we sort of, 
pat ourselves on the back a little bit and feel like, you know what, I've, um, I'm, in, I'm in a better place. Maybe, maybe I don't need God's love as much or maybe I've, I've earned God's favor because of the things that I've done and it's, it's, it's a better life or a better situation than other people. I think for, for me, as I think about my story, like I have a whole lot harder time relating to stories like what we, we, we talked about last week than I do stories that we're going to talk about tonight. Like, I've had all of those questions. There's been moments in my own life where I've thought, man, God, does, does my story really matter all that much? Because for me, I look at my life and I'm like, man, I, I'm a church kid. Like, I, I grew up in church from the time I was born. I was in church. And it was a great church. It wasn't a bad church. I mean, I had a, I had a really great church experience growing up. I had, you know, from the time I was in elementary school and middle school and high school, like, I had great ministries that I was a part of. And I watched God work and move, and I watched God use other people to impact my life. And my parents are still together. My, my parents still, like, you know, we celebrate Thanksgiving, and, you know, as Angie will tell you, like, my family's crazy, but it's not super dysfunctional. You know, my, my parents are still together, you know, brothers and sisters come around, and it's a zoo, but, like, we love each other, and it's, like, it's halfway normal. You know, I don't, I don't look at my past and, and go, man, there's some major mistakes that I've made. Man, I've really made a mess of my life. I mean, I look back and I go, you know, as a middle schooler, I remember breaking into a house with a friend and, and stealing his guns out of his house and, and then having to stand before a judge and getting put on a year's probation. Like, that was a big deal. Um, and I remember getting in a, in a lot of trouble with that. But other than that, like, there's not a whole lot there. Like, I didn't do drugs. I didn't hang out with a party crowd on Friday night. Like, there wasn't all of this, you know, crazy stuff that I got into. You guys want to know more about that story, don't you? Another time, another place. Another place. But, like, there's, there's not all of those different things of me going, you know, I, I have made a mess, a complete mess of my life. I haven't struggled with depression. I was never suicidal. Like, there wasn't any of those kind of things. And so I've often thought, man, God, does my story really have impact? Does it really matter as much as other people's stories that I've heard? If you've ever felt that way, if you've ever had that struggle, then I really believe, like, tonight is your night. If you've ever wrestled with those things or you've ever had those thoughts, and I I think in a lot of ways you're going to be able to relate to a guy like Nicodemus. Now, if you don't know, that's a funny name. We would never name our kid that, but that was, that was his name, all right? So we can make fun of him, but Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader, all right? And, and he was a part of a group called the Pharisees that went toe-to-toe. They butted heads a lot with Jesus. And Jesus didn't like what some of the things that they they talked about and the way that they treated other people and how pious they were and things like that. And so they were always butting heads. But in John chapter 3, Jesus has an encounter, has a conversation with this guy named Nicodemus. And in verse 1, here's what it says. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, just stop right there for a minute. We, we don't know much about Nicodemus. All right, he's mentioned three times in the Bible, and that's it. But what we do know about Nicodemus is that he was a religious leader. All right, he was a church kid. 
He was a church guy. He was religious. He walked around and he was, like I said, he was part of this group called the Pharisees that they had a lot of knowledge about God. And if you were to walk into the temple or to the synagogue, you would find a guy like Nicodemus in front of people, teaching people with all of this wisdom and all of this knowledge about the scriptures. And they often would, they knew that they were more knowledgeable and they, they were more religious and they loved, they thought they loved God more than anybody else. And so they walked around very piously, treating other people, looking other, down their nose at other people, feeling like they were better than other people. So even though this is who Nicodemus was, Nicodemus grew up in church, church kid, all of that kind of stuff, and yet he, he understood and saw that there was something different about Jesus. He saw that there was something that was missing. And so at the risk of being caught and maybe being ridiculed or even being tossed out of the synagogue and no longer a Pharisee, he, under the cover of darkness at night, went and met with Jesus privately. Because he understood and knew that there was something about Jesus that he was missing. So I think as, as you look at this, it's, it's clear to, to me that Nicodemus had a lot of church, but he didn't have Jesus. And maybe that would describe a lot of us. Like we have a lot of church, we have a lot of religious activity, like we show up at things. And, and, and yet at the end of the day, it, we're lacking a relationship with Jesus. Like, we feel like it's about doing stuff and, you know, presenting ourselves to other people as this good person or whatever. And what we really lack is a, a relationship with the Creator, which is what it's all about. And that described Nicodemus, and he, to whatever extent, understood, all right, there's something about Jesus. And so he goes to Jesus, and Jesus knows exactly what Nicodemus needs. He, just like we talked about last week about the woman at the well, Jesus knew the woman. She didn't have to reveal her story to him. He knew exactly who she was. And the same is true about Nicodemus. Nicodemus shows up to Jesus in the darkness at night, and Jesus knows who Nicodemus is. And here's what Jesus responds to Nicodemus with in verse 3. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. See, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he tries to butter him up and go, hey Jesus, we know you're kind of a big deal, we know that God's with you, we see all these miraculous things that you're doing, and we know there's something different about you. And Jesus isn't fooled by Nicodemus at all. Jesus knows Nicodemus, he knows that he's religious, he knows that he's tried to do all of these good things, and Jesus calls him out on that. And he comes right out and he tells Nicodemus that his good works and his religious activity cannot gain him eternal life. He says, you know what, Nicodemus, I know you do all these great things. And he doesn't say, you know, you're blessed because of that. He says, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. In other words, all of those things matter, but they're not going to solve the heart issue. You've got to allow God to transform your heart. You need to be born again. Unless God comes and he transforms your heart, you will never experience the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know how, you know, as, as this conversation goes on and, and Nicodemus and Jesus are talking, I mean, this, this news is like a dagger to any of us who feel like we're good enough. Who walk around feeling like, you know what, I'm not all that bad. Like, I, I mess up some, sometimes. Maybe I look at things I shouldn't or I do things that I shouldn't. But you know what? I'm not really as bad as so-and-so. And we sort of 
you know, get a little bit arrogant and we feel like, you know what, I'm not really all that bad. Jesus is probably pretty happy with me and the way that I'm do- living and the things that I'm doing, and so I'm okay. And Jesus' response shoots a hole in that, in that thought and that idea. And what Jesus basically is saying is that even our good deeds, even the good religious activity and the things that we do cannot transform our heart. That even the church kid needs to be transformed. Even the church kid. In Isaiah 64, 6, here's here's what the prophet Isaiah says. It says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Here's what Isaiah is saying. All of us are on equal ground. Regardless of what our story may be, regardless of what our past may look like, regardless of what mistakes we may or may not have made, all of us are impure. We're all infected with sin. And when it comes to even our religious activities and the things that we do, God looks at those things as just filthy rags. Now for me, realizing this was a turning point for a church kid. For a church kid who all of a sudden realized, you know what, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. You know what, maybe I haven't done all of these crazy things. It didn't really matter what my struggles were. It didn't matter that I grew up in church or that I hadn't spent my Friday nights partying. What mattered was that my sin separated me from God. What mattered was that I desperately, even as a church kid, I desperately needed God to transform my heart. And that changed everything for me. To begin to understand, you know what? Me going to church isn't enough to solve anything. It's all about God transforming my heart. Man, for me, I I want, as a parent, I want my kids to understand that. I want my kids to understand that they are sinners who are desperately in need of God's forgiveness. Now, it doesn't mean that I tuck them in at night and go, good night, you dirty little sinner. (laughs) Even though some nights I, I feel like that, you know, more than others. But it does mean that I want them to understand that, you know what, you've grown up as a, as a preacher's kid, and you, from the moment you're alive, you know, being at every church activity and all that kind of stuff is not going to fix your heart. God's got to transform your heart. It's imp- all those things are important, they matter, but they're not going to solve the heart issue. They're not going to transform our heart. Only when Jesus comes and transforms our heart can we experience and see the kingdom of God. For all of us as well, whether you grew up in the church, whether you've been at Reckless since you know, your first week as a freshman, whether you grew up in this church or not, it doesn't really change the fact that all of us need God to transform our heart. And when we understand that, when we understand that we are desperately in need of God to change us, then that's where the message of the good news that Jesus came to provide makes such a big difference. So as, as Jesus and Nicodemus are having this conversation and going back and forth, here comes the verse that all of us know and that we've, if we could quote a verse, this is the verse. 
John 3, 16 and 17, in this same passage, Jesus is talking to to Nicodemus. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. See, when you and I understand that we are desperately in need of a savior, that's when our story begins to take shape. That's when the story begins to take a major turn. That's when we begin to understand how desperately in need of God we are and we watch God begin to transform our heart. And that's exactly what happened to Nicodemus. Remember I mentioned that he's only mentioned three times, right? So here's the first encounter. Another one is when he's, you know, the, the Pharisees are talking about, should we crucify Jesus? And Nicodemus sort of tries to defend Jesus, but not really. Then Nicodemus' story, we, we hear about him and read about him for the, for the last time, right after Jesus has died on the cross. So Jesus has just, it's a Friday, Jesus has just breathed his last. He's died on the cross. All of a sudden, the earth is shaking. People are running crazy. The disciples have fled. They're scared for their lives. And, and here comes the story, all right? Here's where the story takes shape. Listen to what John 19, verse 38 says. It says, afterward, all right, Jesus has died. Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. Here it comes. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, do not miss this part of the story, why this matters so much. Nicodemus was one of two people in human history who took Jesus' body off the cross and put it in the grave, who put it in the tomb. For any of us who know how big of a deal the cross is and the empty tomb are, that's a significant part of the story. That's a significant thing. And somebody had to do it. If Jesus is going to rise from the dead, somebody's got to get his dead body off the cross, and they've got to wrap him up, and they've got to put him in this tomb so that he can rise from the dead. Somebody's got to do it. Mary and Jesus' family, brothers and things like that, they're too sad to do it. The disciples are too fearful. They've all taken off. They've all run. And all of a sudden, who does God raise up to do this significant thing? Nicodemus, the religious guy. The guy who had a conversation, who knew that there was something different about Jesus. The guy who may have thought that his story didn't matter all that much. 
who didn't really have that big of a past, but understood that he needed Jesus. And all of a sudden, God chooses Nicodemus to be one of the guys to take Jesus' body off the cross and put it in the tomb and get ready. Two of the, the most significant events that have ever taken place, that all of creation and all of other human history are all centered around. And Nicodemus is right in the middle of it. The religious guy, the guy who thought maybe his story didn't matter, the guy that thought maybe, maybe I could just dismiss my, my story and that God could do anything through me because I'm just a church guy. And God used him, raised him up to be a part of making that transition happen. And how powerful is that? And I think about had Nicodemus never sought out Jesus and become a follower, he would have probably been forgotten about. I don't know this to be true, but I, I feel like the only reason we have this story in John chapter 3 of Jesus or Nicodemus coming to Jesus and have this conversation is because of John 19. Otherwise, who cares about some random conversation that Jesus has with this religious guy? He had a lot of those conversations. And Nicodemus probably would have just been another Pharisee who went toe-to-toe with, with Jesus, who thought that he was better than everybody else. But because he understood his need for God, he became a significant part of the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Savior. Because when God gets involved with the aspects of our story, it matters. It all of a sudden has value. When we allow God to transform our heart, that's what gives our story so much power. See, so many times we feel like, you know what, it's, it's the power of, like, our power in our story is from the mistakes in our past. So, like, the, the bigger the mistakes, the, the, you know, the worse our pain and the things we've gone through, the more powerful our story becomes. But that's not really always the case. What makes our story so powerful is the fact that Jesus transforms our heart. That Jesus takes hold of our life. That we understand and admit that we need Jesus. And we allow God to enter the scene and to transform our heart. And then our story has power. Whether it's the druggie or the suicidal or the partier or the religious churchgoer. All of us need to be transformed by God. And the power in our story comes from God transforming our heart, not in our past mistakes. So the closer we walk with Jesus, the more powerful our story becomes. If you doubt or question whether your story matters or has value because maybe you don't feel like it's all that impressive or whatever, the closer you walk with Jesus, the more God is transforming your heart, the more power your story has. It's not about you and the mistakes you've made. It's about God's ability to transform you and make you like him. That's what makes your story so powerful. It's not about whether you're a church kid or whether you've totally wrecked your life. It's about all of us understanding our need for God and allowing God to transform our heart. So when you put it in that context, the truth is all of us have a story to tell. 
If you've ever doubted that your story matters, you have a story to tell. You have a powerful story to communicate to everybody that you come across with. It's not about what you have or haven't done. It's about what God can do in your heart and in your life. And the closer you walk with Jesus, the more powerful your story becomes. Over the, uh, over the last few days, I've just been reminded of this all over again, of just the power of a story. We, um, back in the, uh, I guess it was the spring, every year I've got this, um, this organization who does videos and, and student stories and Bible studies, and, and a lot of it's for teenagers and, and adults and things like that. And so every year they'll call me around the spring, and he'll say, hey man, you know, we're, we're doing this series, or we're doing this Bible study, and we've got this person speaking or whatever, and so we're looking for these kind of stories. And they'll say, do you have any students in your ministry who would fit these descriptions? And so back in the spring, same thing, came to me, hey, here's what we've got. And so I, I just sent them a list of, of names of students, you guys, that I knew that God had, had been transforming and, and you know, whose stories matched the descriptions and the things that they were looking for. And... Um, and he came here and met with, with uh, a handful of you guys uh, over the summer. And uh, just a few days ago, sent me the, the finalized versions of these stories. And these are, these are stories that he's working into Bible stu- studies with Christian leaders and pastors like Francis Chan and Matt Chandler and all of these like, if, you know, big names in, in, um, in Christian circles and things. And there are maybe thousands of people that are watching these videos and they're hearing stories of you guys. And as I was watching these stories, what, what was so powerful to me was that every person is different. And every story is different. But every story is incredibly powerful. And it's not so much about the different things that, that the students have been through or the struggles that they faced or whatever. The consistent thing is about God's ability to transform any situation, any life, no matter what they've gone through. And it was such a reminder to me that as we just allow God to transform our heart, as we admit our need to him and we surrender our life to him and just pursue the life that he's called us to and pursue him, we have no idea what God's up to. And yet God works and moves and shapes our story, not only to impact us, but to impact other people around us. Your story has value. My story matters. It has value. And what, what I hope happens as, as part as we talk about this is that you guys will just embrace your story, whatever that looks like. But as you allow God to transform your heart and your life, you just start telling your story with anybody who will listen. And again, you're pointing back not to the struggle or the sin, but to the God who's able to overcome any sin or any struggle. And we begin to see that as the closer we walk to Jesus, the more we submit our life to him, the more God transforms our heart, the more powerful our story becomes. And that's what I'm seeing God do through so many of you guys. And what I know that there are so many more of you that God is, is writing and shaping as you guys embrace what he's got for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that every story matters. God, I thank you for 
stories in the Bible like Nicodemus, who would be easy to just kind of gloss over and forget about, and he's just mentioned just a couple of times, and yet as you read his story, you see how much power there is in his story. Because he simply admitted his need for you. He understood that you were the one that could transform his heart. And as he was born again, he began to experience the kingdom of God. God, even in some ways, just how envious I am of a guy like that, who we read about thousands of years later to think what an incredible opportunity he had. He was one of the last people to see Jesus before he rose from the dead. God, those are the kind of things that you can use our story to accomplish. Those are the things that you have up your sleeve as you begin to work and transform our hearts and lives. And God, I know that you are raising up so many students in this room to embrace their story, to understand that it matters, that it has value. And God, I pray that we would just be willing to share it. God, rather than buy into lies and to feel like we're defeated or that our story doesn't have as much power as other people, God, that we would just understand how powerful it is because you are a powerful God at work in us. And that's what makes it incredible. God, help us to embrace our story and to share our story with anybody who will listen. May you use it to reach other people to experience life change as well. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.